0: Good morning to you all, my name is uh, Eric Hansen, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really delighted that we get to be here together this morning to worship the Lord, and um, I'm just wondering how has your May been so far? It's only May 5th, um, but in the Hansen family it is already a complete and total mayhem. Maybe you have that same experience, maybe not, maybe uh, you've had that back in the day when you had children still um, trying to manage them at home. Ours has been really full of good normal things, lots of soccer games, concerts, talent shows, recitals, track meets, graduation preparations, registrations for university, prom all the good stuff and on top of that also this Mm. so that's our uh latest litter of puppies they're five uh weeks old right now and they get to be with us for two more weeks and no one at home is counting at all um (laughs) So this is, a, uh, this is a nut litter. What that means is they're all named after nuts, and I couldn't name them all right now, but certainly um, Amy could. I think it actually might be a sign of the Lord's imminent return that my heart is finding itself strangely warmed towards the puppies <laughs> in our home. Speaking of imminent return, that's in a certain way what it is we're talking about. For a good part of the rest of this spring and into the summer months, as we work our way through this series on the book of Revelation, which we've titled Seed to City. And in our uh, Monday reflection, did you know we send an email out, or the preacher sends an email out every Monday to sort of think a little more fully about what it is we did today here? If you don't receive that, if you just turn off that little connection, and you want to, if you just uh, tear off that little connection card and give it uh, to an usher on your way out the door today, we'll make sure you get on that list. But in that email, uh, this is the way I summarized what it is, uh, how I hope we'll keep on approaching the book of Revelation throughout this series. And here it is The apostles' purpose was to strengthen the church against cultural assimilation and spiritual idolatry, not to stimulate end times speculation. He wanted to deepen spirituality and nurture resilient saints. He was not out to heighten fear and scare believers into obedience. The Revelation is a manifesto on living faithfully all the way to the end. It is not a manual charting the chronology of the second coming of Christ. John's prophetic focus was on preparation, not Prediction. There's something that John wants us to know about the character and and person of Jesus. This word revelation, or in Greek, apocalypsis, does not mean cataclysm. It means to pull back the veil. It means to reveal things that aren't always as obvious to us. And in this case, the, the book of Revelation wants to peel back and let us see not just an event or a series of events, but instead, first and foremost, a person. What Revelation wants to show us over and over again is the person of Jesus Christ, the one who came in the flesh, lived amongst us, suffered, died on a cross, defeated death, rose victorious, and will return as king. That's what Revelation is really invested in wanting to show us, as it peers back the veil, that Jesus is close to us, maybe even closer than we think, just on the other side of what it is that we can see. This is the second of this series on Revelation, and we're going to seek today to do the next two chapters chapter 2 and chapter 3, and for most churches, when they say they're doing a, a series on the book of Revelation, in fact, um, even this church, I think the last time they said they were doing a series on Revelation, it's these two chapters that they're doing. These seem to be the most sort of accessible, understandable um, language in all of uh, the book of Revelation, and it's usually done in about Eight weeks. Seven churches, seven messages, and usually a wrap up week or an intro week. That's how people usually do it. So, what people usually do in seven to eight weeks, we're going to do in a morning. We're going to get this thing done in about the next 24 minutes. Strap in. Okay? So, uh, let's pray and we'll dive in. Father, your word is beautiful, magnificent multifaceted in its splendor and its instruction and its clarity. Lord, some of us know how desperate we are to hear a word from you, and for some of us, our, our hearts and spirits are so callous we, we barely know. But would you break in? Would your spirit do what it is supposed to do in our hearts and minds and imaginations? Would it prompt us to a new and fresh obedience May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be truly pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for you are our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay, last week I said, whenever we're feeling a little bit lost, we start back at the beginning. And what we saw just last week, without re-preaching the whole thing, is that John, the writer of Revelation, is on a prison island of sorts. And he's given a vision. The Lord comes to him. Well, the Lord comes to an angel, and this angel comes to John and tells John to write down these things. He says, specifically, write down these seven things, give these seven messages to these seven churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Write to these seven churches. All right, before I go any further, I want to um, take a little break for a numerology lesson. Do you know what numerology is? Numerology is the study of of what numbers might mean. Is there a symbol or something behind the numbers rather than just taking them literally? Is there something we should understand about them? Couldn't have God chosen to write to four churches and gotten it done? Couldn't have written to 22 churches? Of course. As we go along over these next several weeks, we're going to hear a lot of numbers. We're going to hear, as we have today already, the number seven many times. Next week, we'll hear the number 24. The week after that, or two weeks after that, we'll hear the number 144,000. A little bit later than that, we'll hear the number 666. These numbers have symbolic meaning, friends, and as we work our way through them, we'll point them out as we go and talk just a little bit about what they might mean and how they can help us flesh out our understanding of the reading of uh, this revelation. The number seven, since that's the number we're on today, is a number of completeness. It's a number of, of wholeness. It's a sign and a signal that, that what we're about to see is something that feels that's something that's been filled all the way to the top. It's a it's a number that, in this case, represents that Jesus is writing to the, the whole church. This is not just a letter written to seven churches that are in Asia in the first century. Though they are local and they have some local things to say, it would be important for us to know that the, that number seven indicates actually this also is a, a message to all the churches for all time everywhere that the kinds of things that Jesus has to say to these churches are the, are the kinds of consistent challenges, the kinds of things and experiences that every church is likely to face until Christ returns across the globe, across cultures, across time. Seven churches indicates this is a, a whole and complete message for all the church. So he writes to these seven churches, and and last week I highlighted that many of these churches are feeling pretty beat up. That there is an aspect to many of these churches where they are suffering, and that they are exhausted. But some are not. Some are really happy, wealthy, comfortable. Jesus is also writing to churches, maybe like this one. I'm not going to read all seven letters, but I really read the first and the last as a way for us to um, get our minds wrapped around all seven letters. I'm just going to read them aloud in a second. But before I do, I want to give you some handholds for what to listen to. Partly, what I'm hoping to accomplish throughout this series is recognizing that many of us, we're, we're afraid to read Revelation on our own, right? It's sort of like the New Testament version of Leviticus, <laughs> Right? We don't read Leviticus on our own because it's funky and weird. And we don't read Revelation on our own because it's funky and weird. And what I, what I want to do is give you some tools so when we get to Revelation in our Bible reading plan, you would have read already, or we would have read together already a good chunk of it. So you'll, you'll recognize some of the signposts and some of the things that are in there, and you, you have some handholds so you can personally read it with more comfort and confidence. And as it turns out, these seven messages to these seven churches, they all have an identical outline. They are all outlined exactly in the same way. And it goes something like this. You can see it up there on the the screen. First, he introduces himself. He wants us to know something, or wants these churches to know something about his character. Who is he? What does he do? Other than just being God in the flesh, when we peer back the veil, what else is true about Jesus? Then he goes on and he says, I know you. And he says, here are both things that I really want to affirm and encourage that you would continue to do. And also, here are some things that I hold against you. A a terrifying phrase when it comes from the Lord. I know both what's good and what is not good. And then he tells these churches what to do. Here's how to proceed from this point forward in your life of faith together as a church. And then he warns against inaction. Don't just let these words kind of skate over your eyes and minds and not actually engage with them. That brings real life change to your community. Then he declares the promises, promises to those overcomers. And then he says, over and over and over again, let those who have ears hear what I have said to the churches. Another reason why we believe this is for all of us, not just to that church he's writing to in that moment. So we're going to read two letters with that outline. I'm going to ask you, encourage you to sort of listen for it. The first one's going to be chapter 2, verse 1, the very first of these messages. Because remember, Blessed is the one who reads this prophecy aloud. And blessed are those who hear it. So we often will read large chunks together so we can be blessed. To the church, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you, have, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. That's what I like. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love of you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear. What the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious, I will give the rights to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Did you hear that structure? Now to chapter 3, verse 14, if you're following along in your own Bibles, to the church in Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea writes this. These are the words of the amen. Amen. The faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. <clears throat> But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love... I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, that seems like a lot. I only did two. What to say? Just a couple points today for us. First thing that I want to encourage you to do as you read these is to start local. Local. Start local. For all the things that Revelation is, all of the dreams and the horsemen and the dragons and the battling kings and the scrolls coming out of mouths and all those things, those things are right behind the veil, friends. But what's interesting, in light of all that, the place where Jesus seems to want to start as he reveals his heart to us, he starts in human location. Not in a place we can't see or or touch or imagine. He starts right here on soil with a gathering of people. As he thinks about all the great, amazing things that a church can be. And certainly this church is among those churches that is great and wonderful and does amazing things. There also is something that's really complicated and difficult and frustrating about being the church. What he wants us to know is that what we do here. Really actually matters. Do you know anyone who's ever been completely just almost fantasizes about what's behind the veil? They're so focused on the end, they can't live in the now. Revelation does not allow for that. He says, "Let's start with you, where you are, right now, souls with bodies. What he wants to know is that what we do here really matters. We're not just waiting for, you know, pie in the sky, by and by. We're not going to get a harp in our own special cloud. Like what you're doing now really matters. God is invested in what's happening. He's eager to see us become more and more obedient and joyful. And guess what? He says in sort of a scary way, I know already I am watching. The king of kings is watching, waiting for the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones. That's what that phrase means, ecclesia, to be who they're called and meant to be. Now, here's an interesting thing about that word ecclesia. It has come to mean essentially really only church, but when it was first used in the Greek and around all these Roman towns, that word actually meant assembly. It was the assembly of all of the leaders and decision makers in a city. And when Jesus calls us the ecclesia, what he's saying is, you are my assembly in the middle of the city. You are my gathering of people. This is the decision makers. This is the city within the city. And I have a word for you because I, I want you to point to the city that is to come. You are my assembled city right here in Boulder, in Smyrna, and Pergamum, in Washington, D.C., in, Beijing. In the midst of this massive world empire as we seem to have no power over, Jesus says, I am king of kings and I'm calling my assembly together. Here, listen. I have something for you that I, I want you to know. You are an outpost of the city that is to come. Who you are right now, what we do, How we do it, why we do it, really, actually matters. Revelation is this huge, massive, cosmic vision of what Jesus is doing. But it's also what's about you. And how you conduct yourself when you get cut off. And the kind of clothes you wear. The kind of relationships you build have you ever heard this phrase i see it in a lot of um bumper stickers so i'm sure you have to think globally act locally you seen that seen it okay turns out that's not new it's in the book of revelation <laughs> <laughs> jesus essentially is saying there is something happening on a massive cosmic scale And you have a part in it right where you are. You get to be part of this story. You are part of my called out ones. You are part of the assembly as we march our way towards the promised city of God. You you are the the beginning of that. You are the seed of that before we get to the city of my promise. So as we read these letters, start locally. Think about how these things are true for, for us and for you right here. Second, get clear. As you um, read these messages, get clear. And I mean that in really two ways. First, get a new kind of clarity of vision about what it means to live as one of God's assembled people. Get a clear and a renewed vision for it. Seek to truly understand what might be going right and what might be going wrong here and in your own hearts. Because here's what I think I know and what I've been able to sort of parse together about these seven churches and what I think is true of me and I think likely many of us. We're pretty quick to sort of sweep away whatever concerns we might have about how we love, about how we work, about our sexuality. We pretty blindly say, "Well, God just sort of loves me and and the way I treat my neighbors all going to sort of wash out at the end and God's just going to simply celebrate and ordain whatever I do as long as I'm trying to be nice." But friends, that's not what Revelation's showing us. Revelation's showing us that he wants us to have a, a new kind of clarity about what being one of his people really looks like. And it doesn't just look like sort of blithe acceptance of whatever is happening around you. It certainly does not look like sort of blithe repetition of personally of what's happening around you. These letters call for a radically new life. One that is oriented to the horizon of Jesus not to the patterns of this world. These letters taken together want to uh, sort of set us on a new way. Can you get clear on that, he's saying? Our habits, practices, ways of thinking have become too closely knit with the ways of the world. I feel the sting of that. I have over the last couple of weeks reading these seven letters. Friends, let's not sort of just blithely sort of say, well, it's all going to be fine. When the letters to the church have something else, churches have something else to say to us. Let's get clear. Because of the promise of Jesus Christ in our lives, God has called us to a new way of living. God has shaped for us a new horizon for a way for us to be together and independently. Let's get clear in sight. But then secondly, also, let's sort of get clear as in in some way as in to get away. Get clear. Jesus says things like repent, rethink what's going on in your life, wake up. Hold fast to what is true about Christ. And that might actually mean that we need to find some way to to find some kind of separation. Be in the world, but not of the world, he says elsewhere, Jesus does. Now, we're Presbyterians, which means what mostly we want to do is we want to be in the world seeking to transform it by our our faithfulness. Amen? Amen? That's good stuff. Until the way of the world takes you over. Has the world taken you over? Get clear in your vision and get clear of what's entangling you. Can I ask you this question that keeps on coming up for me as I've read these letters? Is your life sufficiently different from your neighbor's? Is your life sufficiently different from the ones around you who are not yet part of the assembly? Jesus writing to the churches says, Get clear, and then get clear. So start local as you read these. This is about us, our embodied life. Get a new vision. Separate from that which is ungodly and unholy and is dragging you into a different kind of an assembly. And then finally, just this one last little point. What are we supposed to do with these letters? Get personal. See, I know these letters are written to the churches and sometimes it can be confusing. This is about all of us. What am I supposed to do? And what I'd like to encourage you to do is Take these as ways that God is speaking to you. Sometimes I, I, uh, I feel a little stale in my, my prayer life. I feel like I, I keep on saying the kind of the same things over and, and over again. It's like, Lord, why am I doing this? I keep saying the same things over and over again. Who else feels that way? Okay. You know, I mean, so I'm going to say something now in a second. That maybe keep your hands down. I feel that way. It's possible you might be doing more talking than listening. It's possible that you're not seeking to hear and understand and be obedient to the voice of God. And if you're looking for a way to sort of freshen up your way of life and your prayer life, one of the ways that people have done this for thousands of years is by reading the Psalms line by line and and pausing after a sentence and then um, praying whatever it is that God gives to you to pray back to Him after you've read that verse. And what I'd like to propose is we read these seven letters and as you go back into your own prayer closets and your own practice of praying at stoplights with your eyes open, maybe you can follow this pattern that um, we see here in your own prayer life. So I've, I've taken the outline of these seven letters and I've put them in a form of questions for you. Maybe you can pray in this way. Lord, what do I need to know about you? What new thing do you want to show me? Second, Lord, what do you know about me? What do you like about the way I'm living my life in you? And what do you dislike? Third, What do you want me to do, Lord? As you've revealed yourself to me, you've assured me of your love for me, you've shown areas where I've fallen short, what do you want me to do? And here's a question I think we never ask. What happens if I do nothing? Lord, if I come to you, and you show me these things, and you prompt my spirit to do something. What happens if I do nothing? Lord, for- refresh me with your promises. Remind me that there is a point beyond the horizon when this all comes to completion. Let me know that you will give me the victor's crown. You will call me your friend forever. That your grace is sufficient for me. Remind me, refresh me by your promises. And then, help me to hear. Help me to hear, 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 hear. hear. Let me hear it to completeness. So, friends, as you read these, get personal. Let the voice of the Lord speak to you. Listen attentively. Maybe, maybe even with pen, pencil, in hand and hand, and paper in front of you to, to journal them out if you're not accustomed even to writing out your prayers. Get local, get clear, get personal. If you read these seven letters in this way, I guarantee you, you won't go wrong.